Welcome back to the Sage Post 47 podcast. This is your host, Sierra Ty Brownlee, Pomona College Class of 2024. Today, I'm joined by Carly Height, Pomona College Class of 2012 and current staff attorney at the Legal Aid Bureau of Buffalo. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Carly. Thanks for having me, Sierra. Of course. Now, to get started, I'd love to hear just a little bit about your Pomona experience. So if you could talk about maybe what you studied and the activities you were involved with. Sure. So I was a double major in German and econ. Um, the econ, I think I knew going into Pomona that I wanted to do something like that. But mm-hmm. the German really was just pretty random, actually. <laughs> I took a class with um, Hans Rindesbacher, who's still at the school, um, because I had started in a Mandarin class because I wanted to learn another language. And yeah. I am pretty tone deaf it turns out <laughs> and it was it was very difficult for me um and the only other class that fit into my schedule by the end of the week um the first week of freshman year was german and so i took it okay. um, just to see how it went and yeah. um professor professor was um very engaging in the class um and i eventually just started to realize that there were a lot of neat funding opportunities related to the German major. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how I ended up sticking with it. So I kept taking German classes. And then um, after my sophomore year, I got money. There's a small grant in the German department to spend a summer doing um, whatever you want, really, in the German-speaking world. Okay. Uh, And I, I got, so I got money to WOOF, Worldwide Opportunities for Organic Farmers. And so I spent a summer with one of my roommates at Pomona. Um, Mm -hmm. We lived on organic farms in the Black Forest um, and then almost into Poland, um, east of Berlin. Um, And so not not something I ever thought I would do with a summer, uh, Mm -hmm. but it was really cool that there was this, I don't know, it was maybe like $5,000 from the German department to do that. And there weren't that many students who were German majors, so um, it was nice. There wasn't a whole ton of competition. Um, (laughs) And uh, so I did that for that summer. And then the summer after junior, so then I studied abroad in Berlin um, my junior Mm -hmm. year. And at that point, I think I had planned just to minor, but by the time I got back, I was so close to finishing the major that I just went for it. Um, And after that semester in Berlin, um, I got a SERP to do research um, in Berlin for the summer. So I got to spend even more time there. And then... um, and then after I graduated, I was able to go back to Germany. So it's sort of a funny, random road, uh, but mm-hmm. was but turned out to be a really neat experience. And I'm glad that I did that. So those are the two things that I studied. And then the other thing that I was really involved is I, I played uh, on the volleyball team all four years. Towards the end of your time at Pomona, did you have a particular career or path in mind? I think... I guess I think that I did. Um, I always start these stories by telling people there's this, um, I guess I don't know if it's like a metaphor or what, of, of the drunkman's walk, which is that um, if you were to, 
um, you know, keep a, if you, if you were to make a map of where you went on any given night, um, you would be able to connect it in retrospect and say, well, mm-hmm. I did this, um, and then I went here and then I went here, but actually it was more like, well, I started here and then I ran into somebody. And so then I went to the next place and then I, um, got really hungry. And so I walked across the street <laughs> for a taco. And, and so then, so then this story that in retrospect feels very obvious that it was A to B is actually A to B to C all the way to Z. Um, Mm -hmm. and so when I graduated from Pomona, so that summer that I spent with my SERP, I was researching, um, third language acquisition among Turkish German students. Um, and so fluency or like pretty good, um, pretty good working knowledge of English is very important in Germany. Um, and so students start learning it in elementary school. And so I was looking at how, kids who already are bilingual and there's a large Turkish population in Germany, how they um, acquire English in those settings. And most Mm -hmm. research suggests that they should acquire it at a faster rate. It should be more natural for them because they already have a lot of these sort of different brain pathways. Um, But the way that it was being taught was it was more like, you know, here's a German word, English word, German word, English word, um, because the elementary school teachers themselves are not like, you know, necessarily fluent in English. And so um, as a consequence, the Turkish students were going sort of Turkish, German, English, English, German, Turkish um, in that sort of process instead of a more like natural, immersive um, experience wherein they might have learned English quicker than their monolingual peers. So from Mm -hmm. that, I decided I wanted to go into education. Um, And so I left Pomona and, um, well, I did a Fulbright for a year back in Germany. And so I was teaching, which was a cool experience. And then um, I had applied to Teach for America when I was at Pomona and was able to defer to do the Fulbright. And so then when I got back, I, I taught for two years. And I, I thought that I would stay in teaching. That's what I really intended to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have the best experience in terms of the type of school that I was at. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of issues with um, student discipline that really bothered me. And, and that was what led me to go to law school. I had absolutely no idea when I was at Pomona that I would ever end up going to law school. That wasn't even on my radar. Um, and so it was just being in a school setting where I wanted to be a better advocate for kids is how I ended up at law school. Okay, very cool. And so when you decided to go to law school, you had in mind what type of law you would want to practice or how did that work itself out? Yeah, I knew that I wanted to be um, an education lawyer. I had honestly no idea what that looked like. (laughs) Um, I didn't know what it would mean to be able to represent a child who um, maybe isn't doing well in school. So a lot of law school was just figuring out um, different ways that you could represent a kid who uh, might be struggling for whatever reason. So... um, the first, the one L, the first year curriculum is pretty set. But then after that, I focused on classes related to um, kids in special education. And it turns out that's that's typically the pathway to represent an individual child is to represent a child who has special needs. Um, but the definition of special needs is, I, I think, far broader than most people would understand it to be. It includes things like ADHD. Um, it can include increasingly PTSD. Um, 
And that includes things that people typically would think of, like dyslexia, intellectual disability, um, autism. So it's a pretty broad category and, and tends to be a way that kids who are struggling with um, discipline, who are being over-disciplined in the schools, often there's some sort of underlying cause, like root cause. Um, and so I started to see special education advocacy as a, a tool to address um, over overuse of exclusionary discipline in schools. And then what was your path after law school to where you are currently? Um, so I did, I, I did something called clerking for two years. Um, that's where you work for typically a federal judge. It might be a state judge helping them draft opinions, prepare for oral argument, prepare for trials. Um, it's a pretty typical pathway, um, as a way just to gain insight into what, how the judiciary works. It's sort of wild when you think about it, you graduate law school and then suddenly you're working for judges and helping them write opinions um you know and what did I know I just graduated (laughs) uh and I was incredibly fortunate I worked for two really amazing judges uh both of whom are back in my hometown of Buffalo um so one of them is on something called the second circuit which is sort of the intermediary court in in the federal system for New York State uh Vermont and Connecticut so um, working for him, I was working on a lot of appeals. I was Judge Wesley is on the Second Circuit, um, working on a lot of appeals um, and helping draft opinions from cases that just really spanned the gamut of the law. I mean, no education cases, um, okay. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Federal judges, uh, they call them generalists. So it's really anything that that um, could be brought under federal law might end up in mm-hmm. front of in front of um, those judges, and then by definition, they're clerks also. So I did that for a year, and then um, I went truly back to Buffalo and worked for um, Judge Filardo, who's on the district court here, which is the federal trial court. And again, didn't really do any education work, um, (laughs) but got a lot of insight into just how federal courts work. And um, interestingly, most education law... um, Qua education law, like that usually is is the province of the states. And so most education law, um, you would end up in state court. But the um, rights of students with disabilities, those are both federal statutes. Um, there's something called Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. And then there's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act called IDEA. Um, and those are both federal statutes. And so even though most public interest attorneys, they're probably going to end up working in state courts, um, there actually was a decent chance through all of this that throughout my practice, I'll end up in federal court at some point. Um, So that's what I did for two years after graduation. And then um, I applied to get some fellowship funding to come back to Buffalo permanently um, and work at the Legal Aid Bureau here to start this discipline defense project. Um, And so it's supposed to be more of a holistic um, practice representing kids who are being suspended in Buffalo public schools, um, Mm -hmm. trying to, on the one hand, uh, combat the, the, the suspension charges and see if we can just not get the child suspended at all. But then also on the other hand, um, even if the suspension happens or, or even if it doesn't, because there's probably some reason the charges were brought, trying to address the underlying root causes of, um, what might, cause the child to um, 
I don't know, not meet behavioral expectations or, or not perform as well as they could in the classroom, whether that's special education or maybe there's a housing issue that I can help with, eviction mm-hmm. or um, foreclosure, or maybe there's a language access issue. Um, sometimes it's like a social security thing. Sometimes it's something really simple as a legal matter, but not simple to the child, like um, a name change if the student is transgender um, and and the school's refusal to to provide that might actually be what's underlying them, you know, refusing to do work in the classroom or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, I got the money, um, from like a big foundation, um, in Manhattan to, to do that project here in Buffalo. And then the pandemic happened. So, uh, schools are closed and it turns out you can't uh, suspend a child if, uh, schools are closed. So I don't know, silver linings. Um, although they're trying, there have been some kids who have been suspended for, um, behavior on zoom, but by and large suspensions are not happening. Mm -hmm. Um, so for the moment, I'm more so laying the groundwork for what the project will look like next year, um, representing kids, um, and then also representing more kids in suburban areas than I had planned to because more of the suburban districts are back in person at least two days a week, some of them five. And so there have been more special education and discipline uh, matters that are arising out there. Okay. What might a typical day in the life um, at your job look like if there happens to be one? Um, what does a typical day look like? So I don't know on an average day. So we have sort of like a hotline. That's how the cases tend to get to us. Um, and so I might call a parent back who has called our hotline number to understand what is going on with their child and our cases. They, they typically are a special education or school discipline issue, but they can really be quite random because we're the only attorneys who sort of describe ourselves as education attorneys in, uh, as nonprofit education attorneys in mm-hmm. the eight counties of Western New York. So um, sometimes it'll be a parent who wants to sue the school to get rid of a teacher, um, which isn't really something we do. <laughs> or um, there's a federal statute that provides protections for students who are homeless or in foster care to stay in their um school of origin it's called so usually where they were before they lost permanent housing and so that's something we might help on um and those are usually a quick matter of just calling the school and explaining what the law looks like um Mm -hmm. so doing that talking to the parents understanding what's been going on with the school might be a big chunk of the day and then um the rest of it usually is more of legal research trying to prepare for an upcoming they're called CSE meetings um it's when the school meets to discuss the needs of a child with special needs um and what their educational program might look like or we might be preparing to go to an administrative hearing um which is if we disagree with what the school is offering um it's sort of quasi judicial um they're not it's not in a courtroom, it's usually just in a conference room, and you are presenting evidence and having testimony, but it, it's not it's not nearly as um, official looking, at least, as what you would see in a courtroom. Um, or I might be preparing for a discipline hearing, which involves uh, interviewing the student and then often other students who are involved, 
and then doing some research on prior opinions from the commissioner of education in New York state about what qualifies as behavior that could result in a suspension or are there defenses often like a child who's being suspended for speech, there might be some sort of first amendment issue. So yeah, it's usually a mix of talking to parents, figuring out what's going on and then preparing for these different procedures that we go to. Um, So a lot more varied, I think, than a typical lawyer, like a public defender who is at their office uh, receiving clients throughout the day as people are arraigned and then representing them in hearings or preparing for a trial. Um, we, The other attorney who does the education work and I, it really varies day to day. Where would you hope to take your career in the future? Oh. <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I want to stay involved in um, education work. I am really happy to be back home in Buffalo. That's definitely something that had you asked me when I was at Pomona, I would have said, no way. <laughs> was I was I ever going to move back to Buffalo? Um, mm-hmm. And I've really enjoyed being here, both personally, being around friends and family, but also professionally. It's, I think, for someone who's so early in her career, I have access to a lot more like power brokers than I would in a really big city where it takes a long time to get to know just the people who can actually start to affect change. Whereas here, I've already mm-hmm. had conversations with folks at the school district about how we might implement my project. Um, so I would imagine that I would still be in Buffalo working still on education issues whether that's still as an attorney or more in a policy position. I think there are a lot of things that are addressed adequately through litigation and those sorts of strategies, but then there are, there's a lot more you can do the more collaborative you are. And what advice would you give to other students hoping to pursue law? Uh, if you're hoping to pursue law I guess don't don't be in a rush (laughs) so I I took three years between undergrad and going to law school and that was really helpful because your law degree you can do so many things with and if you get to law school and you don't have a good idea of what it is that you'd like to do with the degree it's easy to just continue to take random classes and then find yourself at a big corporate law firm doing the things that big corporate law firms do, which that's fine. Like if that's what you want to do, that's what you should do. And you should, but you, but you also might get there and realize, oh, I really wanted to do tax and I never took a tax law in class. Now, of course you can always teach yourself tax law, but um, there might've been things that you could have um, learned in law school related to the pathway that you actually want to take. Um, Or you might get to a big firm and say, wow, this is, terrible and I wish I would have spent a little bit more time um, thinking about going into government work or something like that. Um, So I think having a better idea of what it is that you want to do with your law degree just because it is such a general um, degree and because you really don't there's nothing that forces you to specialize. Um, It's only the decisions that you make in terms of the courses that you select so the better prepared you are to make those selections, I think the the more meaningful your law school experience will be. And then other than that, I mean, I, I really, I guess don't, um, particularly if you want to go into public interest, like don't, don't pigeonhole yourself 
and which I suppose maybe is the opposite of what I just said, but, but don't, <laughs> don't, um, don't, don't think that that means that you can't do something like clerking, which tends to be more the province of, of people who are going to be at big corporate firms or um, going to be uh, assistant U.S. attorneys or assistant federal defenders. There's, it's really important that there's a diversity of voices in the federal judiciary. And so even, even if, quote unquote, you're going to spend the rest of your career as a state public defender or you're going to work on... Um, you know, you're going to be a housing attorney defending people against evictions. Th- mm-hmm. Those voices also are really important in sh- because the federal judiciary and, and law clerks in particular have a sort of a sounding amount of power in in shaping what, what the law looks like in this country. And so don't count yourself out of that just because it's not, it's not obvious how that experience will further um, your specific interests. Okay. Um, going back to your time at Pomona, were there any courses or professors that really stood out to you or that you really enjoyed? Yeah, so I really, like I already said, I really liked working with Professor Rindisbacher. Um, he, I actually don't remember if he ended up being my thesis advisor. I guess he probably was. Um, Professor Schwerin was also um, great. So in terms of the German department, I, I mean, it was amazing just there was two of us who were majors, so it was uh, pr- pretty easy to get access to the professors and to get help on our um, theses. And and so then, you know, Professor Rindersbacher was able to write this letter of recommendation when I went to law school um, yeah. that I know, you know, I've never read it, but I assume, I assume that it was very helpful, um, mm-hmm. which if you've only, you know, not that anyone at Pomona is only taking big lecture halls, but if they, any opportunity you have to work closely like one-on-one or in like a small group of like 10 students with a professor that's I think that's always going to be the the best use of your Pomona education um and so I guess to that point the other professor in the um econ department I really I took my senior I don't know what they called it econ back then it was like a senior seminar instead of a senior thesis and so I took um Professor Steinberger's senior seminar um Mm. and that was he created like four simulations that were supposed to uh, reflect what a student who's going to enter consulting might do on a day-to-day basis and and I thought that that was just a really interesting approach to teaching and I learned as a teacher later on that it it requires a lot more work (laughs) delivering a lecture uh, is actually quite um, simple as a planning matter. You decide what you're going to talk about and then you deliver it. Um, whereas if you are going to create these sort of project-based learning experiences, it takes a lot of effort to come up with the materials to facilitate the conversations well. And so in the moment, it looks like that professor is doing less because they're just <laughs> sitting in the background watching you go, but mm-hmm. the preparation is far more involved. And that was just a really neat experience to um, try my hand at I don't I mean like making like a PowerPoint deck, um, which is nothing, yeah. nothing that I have ever done. And I don't, um, but I, you know, I do it now, of course, trying to persuade people to, um, you know, send, send clients our way or something like that. So that class I thought was really cool and influenced a lot of my teaching style later on, which was a lot of project-based learning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. Um, I wanted to ask since, you did major in econ and you mentioned 
uh, consulting, if you ever considered pursuing management consulting, because I know that it has somehow remained quite a popular uh, path to pursue. I didn't. I had a number of friends who ended up going into management consulting and a number of them are still working in that field. I guess I don't know why. Why why wasn't I interested in it? Um, By junior year, I had the idea that I wanted to teach. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess I don't remember what the timeline looked like. Maybe maybe most people applied in like fall of senior year. Um, So I knew that I wanted to teach. It didn't sound terribly interesting to me. (laughs) I knew that I wanted to do. I I figured that I would do something like a Fulbright um, at least for a few years. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think one of the secrets that, that, that you, you realize later on is that if, if you are motivated and you have a Pomona college degree, like things like consulting or working at a big corporate law firm are things that tend to be available and open to you. Um, if you decide to go back to them, whereas something like a Fulbright or Teacher America or, um, City Year, those sorts of things, um, they're just like really cool, interesting ways to spend your your young twenties, and mm-hmm. um, I like I find that in most interviews, which you know this is like a separate conversation about ways that privilege manifests themselves in interviews. But um, most of my interviews tend to be about my my time woofing. Like people <laughs> people people find that like fascinating. Um, yeah. And and at the time, I was just like, yeah, cool. If you're gonna give me money, and I can go live on farms, and I can practice my German, like that's great. Um, I wasn't necessarily doing it because I thought it would look good on a resume. Um, yeah. But I'm really glad that I did it. It was it was a really enriching experience. Um, and so. So I think, like, if you think, like, oh, this is something I might want to do, go into consulting, um, I, I just, I wouldn't feel the pressure to, like, do an internship so that you can then go into consulting so that you can then get, you know, stay in that career path. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to, to pivot from one thing to the other. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think that it's about time to wrap things up, but I like to ask if you have any last thoughts or advice you'd like to share for current students and this could be Pomona related or career related or really anything um I guess I'd say two things one I've sort of already said is is don't be afraid to take the thing that looks interesting to you to take that opportunity even if it's not something that fits into this like direct path to where it is that you'd like to go um because you never know it might actually be uh open up another door that's that's way more interesting to you um Mm -hmm. or it might just be this cool pit stop along the way and then um you know you took a year out of your life to do something really cool and, and that's fine um and then the other thing is don't well not don't um if there's something you want to do, look for the money to do it. And often you'll find it at a place like Pomona. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, so I was, I had a lot of financial aid money from, from Pomona. And so like spending a summer in Germany was nothing that like I ever thought was possible. Um, mm-hmm. And being in the German department, they had these like cool $5,000 grants, like $5,000 isn't a ton of money, but it's certainly enough to go live on a farm for a summer. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then the SERP grant, I was able to spend another summer in Germany. Um, and I, I found this to be true at law school too. Um, places like Pomona and Stanford, like they just, they have a lot of money. <laughs> and if you, if you find the right person, uh, so I was able to fund like all of my summers doing public interest work. And then I got money to do like a few different, um, like service learning projects with, with yeah. students actually bringing them back to Buffalo, which was, was a really cool experience. Um, so if there's something you want to do and it's not, you know, it's not like spending your summer working at a consulting firm as an intern, but you want to do something weirder, like take some time and see if you can find some money to do it. And I think you'd be surprised by the weird pots. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you have to go to Germany for the summer. Like, well, I don't know. It could be really cool. <laughs> it might yeah. not be something you're expecting, but it could be really cool. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not that I want to say, like, don't let the money get in the way, because I think that that would, um, you know, that would be naive. But um, if if there's something you really want to do, often there there is at least some pot of money that could help you do it. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Okay, well, thank you so much, Carly, for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate you taking the time, and we've loved having you on. No problem, Sarah. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you guys for listening, and take care. Bye.